Yeah, you're one of our regular students for Self-Improvement Wednesday. Each week you get to learn something new. Your lesson this week a focus on Australian artist Dale Harding. Your teacher is Liz Ann McGregor, the departing director of the Museum of Contemporary Art. Liz Ann, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Richard. And I am coming back. Don't worry. <laughs> we won your heart, did we? Did we not? <laughs> We did indeed. Australia won my heart, which is why I've chosen this very special artist, Dale Harding, today. I had the extraordinary experience of going on his country with him in central Queensland about 18 months ago, and it's one of those memories I will treasure forever. He's a very special artist. Mm. He grew up on his parents' cattle property, didn't he? He did indeed. He's a Bidjara man with Gungalu, Guringbal and Kunkara collections, three different clans. And he grew up on this farm in a, a cattle property, but he was pretty good at art when he was a child and uh, was encouraged at school. I think there were prizes for participating. He wasn't sporting, so he became a, a bit of an artist. And um, he even ended up getting commissions from teachers and people in the school. Um, he was doing kind of, he was doing dot paintings essentially uh, initially because as an Aboriginal man, he kind of identified with that as the traditional way of making painting for Aboriginal people. But um, soon came to realise that wasn't really what he was about. And we'll talk about this as we go through, but actually he's one of those artists who does, does work in a wide variety of mediums, doesn't he? Indeed. Um, he experimented with clay and when he left school, he experimented with oil painting and timber indeed. Um, he didn't go straight to art school. He actually went to work for a paint company, a commercial paint company. So he got a bit of experience um, uh, around colour, if you like. He was quite drawn to paints for that reason. But eventually he was accepted into art school at Griffith University's Queensland College of Art. And importantly, it was a very important course, the Contemporary Australian Indigenous Art Course, which uh, continues to this day, actually, and is taught has been taught by very many prominent Aboriginal artists. And it was there that he really began to think about how he, as an Aboriginal and indeed a gay man, should be considering what kind of art he makes that represents his reality rather than adopting something that he'd seen somewhere else. Now, at this point, we come to the lesson for all of us, really, if possible. Listen to your grandmother. Exactly. He began to listen to his relatives, particularly his female relatives, um, which was um, both a, a great inspiration, but also dark as well, because his, his, his family had been on missions and had experienced some of the worst um, times in, in Australian history for Indigenous people. His nana, Margaret Lawton, his maternal grandmother, was an incredible woman. She was actually NADOC Female Elder of the Year in 2012 for her um, staunch defence of what should happen in Aboriginal communities in the Rockhampton and Fitzroy Basin region. And sadly, she she told him stories of growing up on the Wurrabinda mission and the, the really terrible things that happened to these Aboriginal women. Um, and that really affected him and stayed with him and really drove his desire to tell these stories, but in his own particular way. It was very important to him that... Um, he brought it into the contemporary field and, and, and actually found ways of expressing things in his own way. From very early on, the, his graduate show was called Colour by Number. It's a, once you understand the words, it's a very affecting title, isn't it? Indeed, he talks about um, the, 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 the game colouring by numbers that children do, but it was also a way of, uh, of talking about the way that Aboriginal people were classified according to the tone of their skin. 
um, which is a really terrible thing to think about. So he's very much making work that is um, talking about these kinds of histories. And um, it's also um, using cross-stitching. So um, perhaps more of a... F one might associate stitching with female practice rather than male. And so again, um, questioning ideas of, of, of gender um, and his, his, his personality and his own, uh, own realisation that, um, you know, his identity as a gay or Aboriginal man. So his work is very personal, but it has also these um, incredible historical connotations. Now you mentioned crochet and here we come to one of the works that's in the MCA. It's a startling piece isn't it called White Collared Collard. Collard. It's, it's about the collars of these well really Hessian sacks that he's made to look as if they're the work uniforms of, of, of Aboriginal girls in service. Exactly. And th these were coming from the stories of, of his grandmother, the very, you know, beautiful use of lace, which was how the young women were supposed to dress as servants, but then um, also the uniforms. And, and he added things to these, which also allude to them um, being treated almost like livestock. You know, they weren't really treated as people. They were treated as objects or as livestock. So he uses um, saddlery hardware, for example, and raw hide. So he draws on materials that have very um, emotional kind of connotations in this kind of work. Mm. Quite recently, you know, in the last, uh, I suppose, four or five years, he's become quite internationally prominent, hasn't he? He has indeed. He, in 2017, he was actually in one of the art world's most important exhibitions, Documenta in Castle. Um, and here we see him looking at a different side of his uh, of his cultural background. He, he began in his late 20s to visit the cultural sites of his ancestors in central Queensland, in fact, in Carnarvon Gorge, which is where I had the great good fortune to travel with him, at drawing on these incredible um, galleries of sandstone uh, rock carvings. And he began to bring those into galleries, doing his own versions of um, stenciling onto walls, these wall drawings, which are really very like those in ancient art of the petroglyphs, um, but brought into, again, into a, a contemporary form. Instead of using, for example, boomerangs and spears to make the stencils, he uses the tools from his studio. Or, for example, in one work, fire sticks, which would have been things that his ancestors would have used in ceremony. So things that were objects become part, really become, uh, become found sculptures. Mm. There's a work, uh, and you, you, uh, I'm, I'm sure we'll be passing through London on your way home to Scotland. There's, there's a work of his at the Tate Modern now in London. Yes, we're very proud of the fact that a work that was co-acquired by us in the Tate Modern um, in a scheme that uh, we were very fortunate to set up a few years ago with Qantas, and it's called The Leap, The Watershed. This is a very interesting work because he actually uses the ochre from his land, from his country, and he blows it onto the canvas. This was the way in which um, a lot of this ancient rock art was made, the blowing of ochre. Um, and then obviously it had to be fixed with a, a, a kind of a, a glue. But this process of blowing it on, it's a very a very time-consuming, very evocative process in a way. And the ochre just sits on the canvas. And as he was doing this, this image appeared. He had two layers of ochre of um, a, a, a terrible site where a large group of Aboriginal people died when they ran to the edge of the cliff, being chased by the police, and they jumped off in desperation. A very, very traumatic time um, escaping from the Queensland Native Police in the 1860s. So this work has this, uh, it's very beautiful. It's got this ethereal quality with this beautiful ochre 
but it it is of a very a very tragic place and so you have this double-edged sword in his work where it is extraordinarily um aesthetically beautiful but then you have the it is actually referring to this very traumatic history Nick? um yes and i'm i'm certainly looking forward to seeing it I, we've had it on in the museum and it's going to be wonderful to see it hanging in tape modern let's finish with an, another word you mentioned ochre but i love this there's a, a work he's done where it's cobalt blue and guess where he got the blue from? He got it from the laundry detergent, Reckitt's Blue, which yes. lots of people listening would, would remember as, as a quite ubiquitous product in Australia. Yes, it's a laundry whitener. Reckitt's Blue is actually to make your clothes whiter. It was used before bleach, you know, the, the modern-day bleaches. Um, and it also symbolises the domestic labour that his, 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 his female uh, relatives had to undergo, generations of female ancestors that were forced into labour. Um, and he worked with his mother. She makes extraordinary beautiful quilts also using ochre. Uh, and his references to the powdered laundry whitener are, are both poignant and, again, but very beautiful. Um, so I think he's an artist who really transcends the history in a very beautiful way, but reminds us uh, constantly of, um, of, of this past, which is obviously so deeply embedded in the way that he wants to be in the world. Yeah, what a what a clever person! And if we ever manage to get to London, people listening, maybe sometime. Uh, it's I think it's on for another year, so maybe uh, people might make it. Uh, Lizanne McGregor, we will look forward to your triumphant return, uh, sounding even more Scottish than usual. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> and and another lesson, I hope, at some point for for uh, for self improvement Wednesday. Thanks so much, and have have a have a fine trip home. Thank you very much, Richard. Thank you. Bye bye, Lizanne McGregor. The departing director of the Museum of Contemporary Art made Sydney her home for a long time now, but she's going home to see the folks before yeah, coming back to the city that won her heart. You can listen again to her lesson about Dale Harding online, abc.net.au slash Sydney. Self-Improvement Wednesday. You can subscribe, of course, to the free Self-Improvement Wednesday podcast. Uh, next week, a lesson from Kingsley Dixon, John Curtin, Distinguished Professor in Botany at Curtin University on the smoke germination of Australian plants. That's Self-Improvement Wednesday next week.